I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The Gospel this morning looks toward Ascension Day in that it is uh, one of the farewell discourses of Jesus in John's Gospel. Um, the, uh, the, the genre of farewell discourse is something that is quite well known to everyone. Uh, many movies and books and stories, of course, talk about last wishes of a person. If they're in the hospital bed dying and they tell you one last thing, it's considered to be really important. So if, they, if this is the last thing they said to you or their last request, you have an obligation to take it very, very seriously. And this is used in John's Gospel, where Jesus, who's contemplating his own death, is telling the disciples, before I go, you need to hear these things. And this is one of those sections, or a portion of one of those sections. And so when Jesus says, um, those who love me will keep my words, this is intended to be a farewell discourse. It's when I'm gone, remember this. That when I'm gone, if you love me, you'll keep my words. And if you keep my words, then uh, I and the Father will come with you and dwell with you. So there's this, this image of how even though Jesus has left, has died, has gone away, in our case has ascended into heaven, has gone away, that Jesus can still come back in a spiritual way in, the, uh, in unity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit um, and, and have a mystical presence through the keeping of words. So um, in, in exploring this image, I'm going to start with what this presence means. We, we use this language and it's lofty and it's poetic and it often just sort of rolls over us. Well, it sounds kind of cool, but we have no idea what that means. So what does it mean to say that the Father and I will come and make a dwelling with you? Um, this is in John's Gospel. It's kind of uh, related to, but the opposite motion from another well-known passage of John where where I am going uh, in my Father's house, there are many rooms and we will go and make a place for you so that you can come and be with us. But here he's saying that we will come and be with you. And I think those ideas are related. So there's a sense that either on this side of the grave or on the next, there is a similar process of being connected with God, which is achieved in its fullness after the grave, but we participate in on this side of the grave. So even before we die, and even though Jesus has already gone into heaven to be with the Father, there's a way that Jesus can be present within us and among us. And um, that the way that Jesus is present is mysterious. It's not reducible to a concept. You can't listen to this passage like an engineer saying, okay, how many words do I have to keep in order for 100% of Jesus to come to be with me? And which words are the Jesus words and which words are the Father words? This is the wrong paradigm to be using with this kind of language. It's poetic. It is meant to inspire our imagination and point us towards realities that cannot be put into words. So this notion that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit dwell with us or come to us needs to be explored in an intuitive kind of way. Um, so how do we intuit? I don't know. I've been working on it myself my whole life, and I'm just going to share the best I've got so far for your own contemplation. For me, it has never been good enough to just take it as the words say. I have to have some kind of experiential hook. I need some experience on which I can 
can, to which I can connect these words which otherwise have no connection to anything that I would say that I know or understand. And for me, that business of Jesus coming to me or God coming to me is uh, another way of putting the notion of being open to the presence of God or Jesus in my heart or in my being. Um, certainly, John, uh, the, the gospel writer, uses a lot of this language of growing together, you know, interpenetration, oneness, where I and the Father are one, and I and you will be one, and so forth. And so there's a, there's a connectedness at the soul level that John is getting at. And, um, and certainly for me, I can never tell you that there was a moment uh, where I knew that my soul and God's soul were totally together. There was always some uh, equivocal nature to that. Sometimes I had experiences of God's presence. Sometimes I had experiences of God's absence. And yet, in hindsight, I would look back and say, even though I didn't think God was there, God was there. So I can't really nail down um, a particular feeling that I have which proves that I and God had grown closer together. It's more complicated than that. What I can say is that there's a generalized way where I know that, that God and I have parted company. Not that God has left me, but that I have cut myself off. So rather than God being far away or near, I prefer the metaphor of open or closed, whether I am open to God's presence or closed to God's presence. And so the being open to the presence of God has been the goal of my spiritual life. And that is a holistic notion. It's not just about a feeling of spiritual warmth and well-being. It's also about a way of living your life. It's a way of seeing Christ in my neighbor, um, in my relationships, in my challenges, in my struggles, in my heartaches, in my successes. All of it is part, I, I can go through all of this journey either separated from God or connected to God. And the spiritual goal, in fact, I would argue the word salvation itself means openness to God. And that, of course, is what prayer is. That's the definition of prayer, is to be open to God. I'm going to share with you a little conversation I had with my dear son just yesterday, where uh, we tend to talk about religion because he still can't figure it out and he doesn't get it, but he trusts me enough to have conversations and arguments, which is really fun. So we, ha we were having another one of those conversations uh, yesterday, and he was like, Dad, church was just so boring. You made me go my whole childhood, and all I heard was, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know? And it's all these words, and it was so boring. Couldn't you, like, have jazzed it up a little bit? And, of course, um, I, I just, my only response was, Matt, church should be boring. It's supposed to be boring. If we made it too exciting and entertaining, then we're actually creating barriers to that openness, that, that prayerfulness that this whole thing is about. We're here to be bored in the presence of God. That's what we're doing. <laughs> because if we're not bored, our minds, our rational minds are engaged and we're, we're thinking of thoughts and ideas and being entertained and oh, isn't that funny and fun and, 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 and we're not opening up. We're not getting to that deep place of connection. So that, that notion that the Father and, and, and I are coming to be with you is not an intellectual connection. It's something much deeper than that. So the intellect is part of it, but it never stops there. So, keeping the words of Jesus, it's not a merely intellectual exercise. It's not just listening to that and figuring it out theologically and having the right answers so that you can get an A on your theology exam. It's not it. 
Yes, you can take that intellectual journey as far as you want, and it is fruitful and wonderful, and I highly recommend it. But it's still not really the point. Um, the point that theology and other aspects of spirituality should serve is the openness to God, the, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling with us. Um, and so when we keep Jesus' words, we need to pray them. This is what it means to pray the scriptures. It is to hear them, to reflect on them, allow them to get deeper and deeper into our being so that we can hear them at a soul level and not merely a brain level. It's why we keep saying these words over and over and over again, which is why they're boring. We're not getting new words all the time because as we come at them again and again and again, depending on where we are, we may hear something new that was waiting for us to discover when we were ready for it. And I can't tell you how many times that has happened. Um, in fact, that, that is my sermon preparation process. I look at the readings for the coming Sunday and I go, nope, I got nothing. So I put them away and I go do something else and then I come back at them and I stare at them again and I go, nope, still nothing. And I, put, and I do this a couple of times and then finally I'll read them again. I'll go, oh, there's something. And I don't know what changed. All I can say is maybe I changed that I read them and I read them and I kept reading them and yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Oh, hang on, there's something there. And that for me is praying the scriptures. It is entering into them at a deep level so that God, Christ, the Holy Spirit can dwell with me and I can be open to the presence of God. And it changes who I am. It allows me to grow closer together with God. So in the end, it comes back to uh, what I would call salvation. Um, which I follow the theory of divinization, Irenaeus, second century, you can look it up. Um, but essentially, what is salvation? What are we being saved from? We're being saved from separation from God, which is a hell in itself. And, and so we grow in our oneness with God, and it'll never be perfect on this side of the grave, but the more we do it, the more ahead we get and the better off we are. Um, it's, it's a Another little sidebar, I would never argue that we are trying to create altruists. We're not altruistic. We're enlightened self-interest. We're in it for ourselves, ultimately, because we're better off when we abandon ourselves and love other people. It's, it's the paradox. The more we forget ourselves and abandon ourselves, the more open we are to God in our midst, the more loving we are to others, and the more we ultimately receive. So in the end, it's for our good and our benefit. It's not just a, well, I'm doing this for you and sacrificing everything for myself so there's nothing left for me. That's not, that's not our pitch. It's in that openness that God comes and dwells with us. So we keep the words. We keep the words in the liturgy. We keep the words in our own reading. We keep the words in our own reflections so that as we come back to them and back to them, we grow together with this mysterious reality that we call God more and more in the hopes that that will achieve some kind of fullness on the other side of the grave. Thanks be to God. Amen.